Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. We want to share the fifth and final in this message, in this series of messages we've entitled A New You. We've been talking about things that the Lord Christ suffered and died for and has been resurrected as a guarantee, both to purchase and to guarantee that we can have made new in our lives. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a renewed hope uh, that you and I, through the finished work of Calvary, we can not no longer just abide as hopeless people, but in him we have hope. So, you know, when you, when you, when you look at this life solely through a natural lens, uh, it's, there's a good degree of hopelessness that's inherent to natural life, isn't there? I mean, if you, if you remove all of the dynamics that we've been talking about this morning, you know, if you only observe through the natural lens, there's a lot of futility associated with our existence. We, we're born, uh, we, we live, we work, we die. You know, we, we even had some biblical figures that made these observations. If you, if you take the life of Solomon, for instance, uh, Solomon had a, had a fairly bleak outlook on life in, in Ecclesiastes. You know, it's in the opening verses there of the book of Ecclesiastes, he states this problem and he says, look, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And, and most of the book of Ecclesiastes from that point forward is a succession of experiments, one after the other, where Solomon is engaging and he's trying to find some meaning in the natural things of life. And he, there's a whole list of them. We won't take time to, to cover all of them this morning. But Solomon looks for satisfaction and fulfillment and hope in many different areas of this life. And he finds none and he concludes and says, hey, this, this earthly existence is, is pretty, pretty vain. It's pretty vain. You all, know the, you all know God's servant Job and what a just and upright man he was. And at the climax of Job's trial, he says in Job 14 and verse 1, this is his observation of life. He says, man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. <laughs> trouble, 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 trouble. Right? I mean... Job says, Job responds to his friends and, and speaks of being tormented, broken down, forsaken, persecuted, despised, and of course we all know experiencing health difficulties. Now, I want you to imagine the truth of all this in a natural sense applied to your own life. You were, you were born into this world under sin. Your days are filled with toil and struggle. And for all of this, the results will be different for some. Some people will toil and gain great wealth and some will not. Some will go through this life and enjoy great health and some do not. Some will suffer greatly and be persecuted and others will know lives of relative ease. Some will live to a ripe old age and many will die young. And we bemoan these inequalities and this unfairness in this life. But the truth is that if we look strictly at the natural life side of life, we can certainly agree with Solomon and say that all is vanity. There once was a t-shirt that said, he who dies with the most toys is still dead. 
It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor, sick or well, young or old. Uh, the statistic still holds true that given an adequate amount of time, 10 out of every 10 people die. And if we only apply our imaginations for just a moment, we can, we can see well what the writer of the proverb meant when he said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's a deferral of hope that causes people to give up on life and cease to live and just merely exist. It's a deferral of hope that causes people in tragic situations and circumstances to take their own lives. There's, there's no sense that this life is going to offer anything more than suffering and sorrow. And speaking strictly from a natural sense, this whole idea of the circle of life, while it made for great theater music in Disney's The Lion King, it's, it's kind of a morbid thought, isn't it? Speaking from a strictly natural sense, this life only offers hopelessness. But I've got great news for you today, and somebody said, praise God, this was getting kind of dreary real fast here. The good news for you and I today is that we are not natural beings having spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings created in the image of Almighty God and we just happen to be in the middle of a natural experience right now. I want to I point something out to you here. If you have your Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to camp there for just a second this morning. And I want to define for you hopelessness. Or better yet, I want to define for you hope. Because I didn't come to preach hopelessness to you this morning. I came to preach hope. But Paul defines hopelessness for the Ephesians church in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, were all called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at that time you were without Christ. Okay? Mark that. You were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Paul explains hopelessness just in the way I did earlier, and that is this. A biblical definition of hopelessness may be a natural existence apart from God. A natural existence apart from God is the sum total of hopelessness. Without God, all that we have in this life are death and suffering. All, without God, the very best that we can wish for is a life of ease and a painless death. That's it. That's it. But you know, sometimes we throw terms around carelessly. And we don't, as the Word instructs us, measure the weight of our words and and sometimes in that we 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 lose the significance of a phrase or a term or a word and one of the words I believe that we do that with a lot is hope I believe we carelessly and recklessly use the word hope how many of you ever caught yourself and you say I hope so and so I hope this happens, I hope that happens, I hope another thing. And really what you would appropriately be saying is, I wish. I wish that this thing would happen, 
And I wish that this situation would work out that way, but really it's not based on hope. You see, there's a difference between a wish and a hope. A wish is a desire for something, and hope is a confidence in something. A confidence in a future event. Now Webster defines this word hope here for us and his first definition needs to be scratched off and taken out of the book because his first definition of hope sounds like a wish. In other words, just a strong desire for something else to happen. But this second and all of the subsequent lines underneath it really do a good job of explaining what hope is. And he says, confidence in a future event, the highest degree of well-founded expectation of good as a hope founded on God's gracious promise, a scriptural sense. Isn't that wonderful? So, you say, I want to I just play this with you through this morning. Just humor me for a second here. If we're talking about hope, and we were to be talking about the opposite or the antithesis of hope, what would we be talking about this morning? If I were to ask you today, would you say hopelessness is the opposite of hope? We might say that despair is the opposite of hope. But I've taken some time this week and I've gone through and I've really looked at the, at the definitions of these things. And I, I really don't believe that hopelessness is the opposite of hope. And I thought about despair and I, then I read the definition of that. And I really don't believe that despair is necessarily the, the opposite of hope. I think despair is synonymous with hopelessness. And both of those things denote an absence of hope. In other words, they indicate that there is no hope. But I believe that the opposite or the antithesis of hope is dread. It's dread. Because you see, both hope and dread have a confidence associated with them. And I'm, I'm, I'm laboring this point here this morning because I want you to understand that hope is not a wish. It is this sincere anticipation that something is going to be. How many of you, it's Sunday, it's Sunday afternoon and you know that Monday morning you have a physician's appointment, Tuesday afternoon. You, how many of you have a doctor's appointment this week? Good gracious. How many of you look to that doctor's appointment with great anticipation? Right. Why? Because you know what's coming. It's uncomfortable. It's uncertain. You're not sure maybe what it is, but you know that it is a trip to the doctor. You don't know if you're going to need a root canal or not, but you do know it is a trip to the dentist. And you dread it. In other words, you know it's out there in front of you, and you have an anxious anticipation of that happening. It's always oh, just as sure as the calendar rolls around. You know it's coming, but you have an anxious anticipation. 
Dread is the fearful or anxious anticipation that difficult and hard things are on the way to you. But hope, on the other hand, is the optimistic and joyful anticipation or expectation that things are going to be okay. That good things are on their way to you. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope secures. I got too high there. It was, it was I needed Mike. Mike, Mike, Mike. It's not a wish. It's not a hypothetical situation that we desire to come to pass. It is the earnest expectation of a favorable reality. 25 times in the King James, New King James Bible, 30 times in the New Living Translation, 33 times in the NIV do we find the word hope used by the psalmist. And it often speaks in the context of resting in hope. It often references taking comfort in hope. And I want to tell you today, it's my wish that keeps me up at night. It's the uncertainty associated with the way that I desire something play out in my life that makes me wring my hands and makes me sweat on the sheets because I don't know. But the psalmist uses that word hope over and over and over and over again. And we can only rest and we can only take comfort in things that are fact and things that are sure. I remember one time I was sharing a message and they were talking about that Iranian dictator and they were talking about that he had a button, you know, and he might launch nuclear attacks and everything. And I, I, my, my, in the, I remember in the context of that message, I said, if he's got a button, let him push it. Push it. Why? I don't care. You say, well, Pastor, what about, what about, what about? Let me tell you. My word says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. That is a surety. That is a, that is a firm and, and constant and earnest expectation that what God has spoken over my life is the fact of the matter and nothing changes that. You see, hope is the opposite of dread. It's not a fear that bad things are looming, but it's the confidence that God's word is sure. When we use that word hope from a biblical perspective, we are referencing the thought that it is so often expressed in Scripture, he who has promised is faithful. His word is sure. Jesus Christ is the guarantee of that word. The, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.19 says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, yes 
For all of the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Let me tell you something today, church. I've got good news. And the good news is that over 2,000 years ago, my Savior hung and bled on a tree. And not only did he hang and bleed and die on a tree, but he was buried. And he was resurrected on the third day so that every word, every line, every jot, every tittle would not pass away until the whole thing was fulfilled. And there are some things for which you and I can stand confidently because of hope that is ours through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now we could almost and may do a series on these three elements, but very quickly today because we want to hasten here to the Lord's table, I want to share with you three ways in which Christ Jesus wants to restore your hope. There's a surety in Jesus Christ. He wants you to have hope for salvation. Consider that the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Consider as well in Romans 6.23 that it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. Consider that it also instructs us that there is nothing that we can do to remedy this condition of our sinfulness for ourselves. We were, as Paul described it, in this world without God, hopeless. But hope was born into this world. Oh, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and they lay him in a manger. There was no form or comeliness that when we saw him, we would desire him. He was like a root pulled up out of dry ground. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I'm telling you, there's hope in Christ alone. If you're in this place today or you're listening to me via the Internet today, I want to tell you that the hope for your situation is in Christ alone. There's no other answer. There's no other appeal. There's no other process. There's no other way. If you're here, if you're under the sound of my voice today and you're listening... This world can only offer hopelessness and despair. But Jesus offers hope. He offers hope. Paul's previous mention of his explanation of hopelessness to that Ephesians church, it was earlier in that same chapter, verse 8 to be exact, that Paul is explaining to the church at Ephesus the gift of God's grace. And now he's going to show that it was through the finished work of Calvary that that grace has been extended to us. If you read on through Ephesians chapter 2, you can do that. You can do that at home for homework or in your connect group or whatever. You can read that full chapter of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2.13 says this, though, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once so far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As we spoke about some weeks ago, we don't have to live now as aliens from God's presence as we've already experienced here in this place. We're cleansed. We don't have to struggle through hopelessness as a part of this physical life apart from God. We've been brought near. 
Hebrews 6, 19 says this, this is the hope we have as an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, mark that, sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind, behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Secondly, Christ wants to give you hope for a victorious life. When we speak about this issue of hope, it's not only a confidence for future things. It's a confidence in the word of the Lord for your life today. Can I tell you, Christian, if you're facing things in this life, it's not for you to go huddle in a corner and say, well, I guess all of this is going to be better by and by sometime, maybe kind of way. But the Lord wants you to have hope of victory right now. Right here, in the face of your present circumstances, he wants you to know hope. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. There's the dread. But the hope is, take heart, because I have overcome the world. He has promised to never leave us, nor forsake us. Third and finally, Jesus wants you to have hope of a glorious eternity. A glorious eternity, not a godless eternity, not an eternity absent of any kind of blessing. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we above all men are most pitiable. Serving the Lord really didn't get Paul much in this life, but trouble and heartache and more things to dread. But that death mentioned in Romans 6 as a penalty for our sin, it's not speaking so much about the physical death because we, we've already covered that, you know, given enough time, we're all going to pass from this scene. But it speaks of a spiritual death. And spiritual death is an eternity spent absent from the presence of God. In a place where there's darkness and weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Can I tell you today, church, it's not an often broached topic anymore, but heaven is a real place and as is hell. And nobody, God sends nobody to hell. But he loves you so much, he'll let you choose. Even if it breaks his heart, He'll let you choose. But the great news is that we don't have to. We don't have to spend an eternity apart from God. Can I tell you today that it is not the streets of gold. It is not the crystal river. It is not the walls of jasper or the gates of pearl that make heaven heaven. It's none of those things. We sing, you know, sing all the songs and everything about the streets of gold. Can I share with you as lovely and as sentimental of a thought it is, it's not the reunion of your family members that makes heaven heaven. The thing that makes heaven heaven is that you and I will spend eternity in the presence of the King. And just as we read earlier in this service from the book of Revelation, we will be gathered around the throne 
It's a land where it needs neither sun nor moon because the presence of God lights the place. And we, together with the untold millions, the blood-washed throng will sing, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb for sinners slain. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Can I tell you that through the finished work of Calvary, there'll come a day when you won't know suffering, when you won't have any more tears, when the pain of this life is just a bygone and fleeting memory if you remember it at all. Together we just sing the glory and the praise of our Savior for eternity. Hope. Hope is yours. Paul wrote to Titus and says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.